This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The reality that we're facing is that patients are still falling through the cracks of digital strategies that are currently in place. While things like broadband have been a focus for quite some time, it's just one factor in the broader scope of things. Welcome to SGT Perspectives. I'm your host for today's episode, Jamie Sage. Digital health access is a core element of health equity, something that's been an important topic for SG2 and for Vizient. Today's guests, my colleagues, Nikita Aurora and Andrew Rebham, are here to help me explore this really important topic. Let's get started by setting the stage. Nikita, what are the challenges that exist to creating digital equity today? Yeah, thank you, Jamie. The reality that we're facing is that patients are still falling through the cracks of digital strategies that are currently in place. While Things like broadband have been a focus for quite some time. It's just one factor in the broader scope of things. It doesn't take into account provider shortages, transportation challenges, accommodating appointments in accordance to work schedules, and the potential lack of childcare that families may be facing. When you look at equity from a digital lens, it's known that digital disparities are very interrelated with some of our key social determinants of health. That includes race, ethnicity, income, geographical location. When observed alone, they're not necessarily positive or negative. Negative, but there are some adverse influences that they can have on some of our most vulnerable populations. Within our webinar, Advancing Equity in Your Digital Health Strategy, we identified four markers or digital determinants of health that can help address any of these prevalent gaps, which ultimately fuel that existing divide in care. Those include cultural competence, access to digital solutions, equitable data collection, and infrastructure. And there are aspects of each of these digital determinants that can be influenced by our members, while others may have to be set in motion by external factors such as policy regulations. There are some policies in place that are creating momentum, including the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, which is catalyzing efforts towards building out community-based digital inclusion, as well as the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, which is going to outline a five-year plan to close that digital divide. Regardless, each determinant plays a role in patients' overall care delivery experiences and leveraging digital capabilities to reinforce patient engagement across their entire healthcare journey is going to be inevitable. Well, Nikita, you covered it all. When I look at it from a digital inequity perspective, the connectivity, digital literacy and access, those are the three big pillars of challenges that we often see in this space. Everyone knows the challenges around broadband internet access, but we might also think from an infrastructure perspective, even having more kind of expansive data plans or more unlimited data access for folks that are typically mobile and trying to navigate virtual care options. As far as digital literacy goes, there's a whole world there of just skills training, education and tech support that needs to happen. And then from the access perspective, it's not just access to hardware and software, it's access from an affordability perspective. There's certainly an aspect of data quality that we need to consider as far as just the diversity of data that exists. And also we want to make sure that data is addressing potential bias that could be occurring specifically with the rise of AI. But we also have to think about data standards. This is more of an interoperability leaning 
meaning here, but if we have patients who are typically underserved or not necessarily engaging with providers as often, they are still very much ingrained in the community and addressing their health needs in other ways. And we need that data to close the loop on care. And so there's a lot of data exchange components that fall under that banner as well. And then the other one that she mentioned, health policy, that's a big bulking player in this space. That's quite a stage you said there, both of you. Nikita, you mentioned the importance of tying this to social determinants of health, and you listed some of the typical populations that are where we see inequities in place. Can you go a little bit deeper into which populations we see in health equity and digital health inequity impacting the most? It comes to no surprise that you're going to be seeing some of the most vulnerable populations that are at risk. That includes our rural communities, our older adults, racial and ethnic minorities, lower socioeconomic status families fall vulnerable to these barriers and having limited access to a lot of these capabilities. In essence, it's easy to identify which populations are most susceptible to experiencing digital inequities, but you need to question whether or not you are doing the work to truly assess how they're faring in your specific markets. As an example, within our Vizient Vulnerability Index, which characterizes neighborhoods into factors that may influence a person's access to healthcare and opportunity for good health outcomes, we took a deep dive into the behavioral health service line specifically to analyze the utilization of telehealth services both over the phone and through video visits against online visits. And given it's one of the top service lines forecasted to experience growth in virtual visits, we felt this was really the area to focus in on. What we found was that populations in those highly vulnerable neighborhoods were split between virtual and in-person visits. And that gap really, really widens in favor of in-person visits across geographical categories. What that tells us is that these access barriers are preventing patients in highly vulnerable neighborhoods from engaging with a lot of the digital solutions for care that have been put into place. The data that Nikita pulled together for that report, super insightful, and it really sheds some light on who are those populations that are being impacted the most by this. The way that I think about this challenge is there are some definite points of failure in the process of care delivery for the most vulnerable. We could think of conditions like populations that are essentially off the grid, populations who from just a mere cost perspective cannot afford to participate. We have language barriers that are an ultimate pain point. Physical limitations. When we think of all these new aspects of virtual care delivery, it's pretty hard to do that if you have some kind of cognitive disorder, a vision, speech, or hearing disorder. And then unstable housing is another pretty common pain point that is pumping the brakes on a lot of these efforts to address matters of equity. I had a discussion with Nikita last week about the research we do, and there's a lot of discussion around digitally enabled care at home which is meaningless if you don't have a home or the fact that there's literally hundreds of thousands of mobile health apps out there, but that becomes meaningless if you don't have a smartphone or a computing device. Same with all of the potential for wearables if you can't afford them in the first place. There's these really heavy points of failure that if we can target them, because I think the fact that they're such large, difficult, costly challenges, we have a tendency to kind of put them on the back burner or hope that someone else will deal with it. Ultimately, to truly move the needle, we need to address those main points of failure to ultimately see who are the most vulnerable that are running up against these challenges. Some great insight. And it's probably the challenges and the populations are going to change from market to market, community to community. It's really important to take a look at the specifics. Nikita, you mentioned the work on broadband early on as well, and you talked about your four pillars. Tell me a little bit more about the solutions that you're starting to see to address these challenges. 
our team outlined four different strategies, which really tie back to the four different pillars that we had outlined. One of those is addressing barriers to access by developing infrastructure that supports real-time troubleshooting and offering patient navigator programs. What this really addresses is limited access to high-speed internet, limited access to digital devices, as well as a little bit of that digital literacy component. A few examples The National Digital Inclusion Alliance created a digital navigators program at the Salt Lake City Library. It was designed to be easily replicable, easily scalable, and tend to a variety of different scenarios, including increasing access to rural communities and creation of information hotlines. The aim was always to meet the community members at their level of comfort and assess the technological skill gaps, as well as guide users to a point where they become self-sustaining when they're leveraging digital solutions. They've built out different toolkits that provide frameworks and workflow design, and they're all very easily accessible to the public, and they are applicable across many different industries, including healthcare. I believe that by the time the Navigator program wrapped its first go-around, they had supported over 600 individuals across 60 different zip codes within the Salt Lake City area, and really recorded a measured increase in learner confidence, as well as understanding of just how secure leveraging digital solutions on the internet can be. Another example in the similar space is the University of Maryland actually partnered with the National Institute of Health and developed a smartphone application known as Healthy Me. And the point of this application was to help African-American and Spanish-speaking adults. And the app is designed specifically to help users meet their goals for healthy living, helping them access health information, helps understand nutrition labels, prevention recommendations, as well as connects users with nearby healthcare providers. Those are just two examples of ways that you can get involved in bringing access to your communities. Another area that I'll touch on is creating customized, culturally competent digital solutions and education materials that are specific to patient characteristics, such as demographics, community of residents, and other unique needs. There are so many examples of platforms out there that currently exist to help address language barriers and mitigate privacy concerns. Some of those include Health in Her Hue, Violet Lab, and Hope Lab. These platforms have all been built to help patients find culturally attuned providers. They're a great avenue for potential partnerships for systems. And depending on your patient population and community needs may be exactly what can bridge that gap in some of those patients falling through the cracks. Another example of just focusing on that cultural competence aspect of digital equity is exploring bilingual and bicultural service providers. So making sure your workforce is diverse, assessing literacy levels of community to break down barriers, patient navigator programs and community representatives are a good example of that, providing interpreter services and expanding hours and adjusting hours of operation to meet your demographic needs, prioritizing clinics in areas that are easily accessible for those vulnerable populations are also going to help continue to bridge that gap. When I think of solutions that we could be mindful of, certainly there's all of those aspects of health system oriented solutions that Nikita just highlighted. The one that I want to bring back into the discussion, though, is the role of the government. Nikita did touch upon this a little bit earlier with the infrastructure bill and and what that did for providing something like $65 billion in funding to address these digital inequities, primarily around broadband infrastructure and, and internet costs for families and even supporting digital literacy programs. But when you think of the scope and the scale of social determinants of health, however you want to define that, it's practically requiring government intervention to really fund and sustain and and change these efforts on a big scale, whether we're talking the federal or state level. That infrastructure bill, it's being led by four different agencies that 
essentially are being given large amounts of funding for different purposes. So the FCC has several programs that they're using. The Department of Agriculture is supporting rural providers in funding infrastructure projects. But beyond that, bill, we have to consider all of the existing health policy challenges that are still underway, especially now that the public health emergency has ended. We are thinking about how do we keep audio only telehealth reimbursed? And if we're going to keep reimbursing it, do we reimburse it at parity with video encounters? How does that relate to in-person encounters and so forth? So there's this whole question around incentives and also the quality of care that conducted via a telephone call. And we could debate that all day, but it ultimately comes down to looking at the most vulnerable patients. Is an audio-only telehealth encounter better than no care at all? There's these types of questions that we need to address. Beyond that, from a policy perspective, do we need to remove geographic or originating site restrictions? Do we need to rethink interstate telehealth licensing restrictions that many stakeholders are typically frustrated with, if not deeming them archaic or just getting in the way of true equitable health care. The last big policy question was around virtual prescribing of controlled substances. There was a lot of behavioral health implications that came from the expiration of this flexibility that was set to end with the PHE. And just due to the backlash that occurred from the proposed rules, we now have at least another six months of those flexibilities with a potential to extend it a full year for those patients who have an established telehealth provider. We're seeing progress. Unfortunately, we still just have to wait for continued rulemaking, whether it's CMS dealing with Medicare or whether it's the Medicaid and state-based private payers and everything that's happening on the congressional level. But these are the major rules that are going to push a lot of industry stakeholders to reevaluate how they're leveraging digital to serve the most vulnerable among us. Those are some great insights. And I like the parallel tracks that you took there in terms of looking at what the health systems are doing and what the government is trying to do or is moving towards and what else needs to be done. That's really insightful. As we start to think about next steps here, and for organizations who want to do better in how they're supporting and elevating digital equity, what are some of the things that they can do? And Nikita, where do they start with their efforts to improve digital equity? There's also some additional solutions that we've published within our webinar, as well as our follow-up continuing the conversation one-pager. Some additional starting points or solutions could include potentially setting up public Wi-Fi hotspots to provide free internet access to residents or local community members in areas where maybe they wouldn't necessarily have access to Wi-Fi within their own homes. Partnering with internet service providers to help offer low-cost options in that space. Partnering with community-based organizations to offer training programs to develop skills needed to leverage technologies and also continue to build that trust in these existing tech platforms no matter what direction you decide to pursue. Some of the key elements that will be pivotal in bridging the overall gap is going to include making sure you're really looking at the data, understanding your system's inherent biases to help identify service gaps, really understanding the challenges of the communities within your primary service areas and creating targeted interventions to then meet those needs and continuously monitoring and evaluating and adjusting these interventions so that you're not just putting a solution into place and letting it be because you've put a Band-Aid on the problem. You need to continuously take a look and reevaluate and make sure that you're really capturing the entire audience. The way that I think about this from a strategic angle is to break it into fairly non-technical action items and maybe more technical ones. So you kind of zoom out to then zoom in 
But from a non-technical perspective, it may just start with vision setting from the health system perspective, typically more of a top-down C-suite initiative, but making digital equity a core health system goal is a good starting place. You want to build trust in the technology, build trust in the data assets. You want to continue to promote education and awareness on this topic. So it's not just educating your staff or patients, but your vendors and partners that you work with, the different community members, policymakers, going out and educating members of the media on what your different digital equity initiatives are. There's lots of external groups like the National Digital Inclusion Alliance or the Rural Health Information Hub that this is what they do. They just promote tons of education, toolkits, They have webinars, they have all this information out there for our members to be able to educate themselves on this, but also to gain some tactical knowledge that they could start to apply within their own health systems. Certainly just surveying the market for everything that's available down to more of the technical action items that we could think about. Data is still the king here. You can't really change what you don't measure. And so certainly implementing dashboards or visualization technology or leveraging analytics, whatever tools you need to drive actionability of the data, but also help drive some accountability for the different stakeholders is going to be crucial here. Beyond that, you start to leverage more of a multimodal approach to care. So this is where we spoke about the importance of supporting audio only care where it makes sense, as well as text-enabled functions for those folks who are increasingly mobile, as well as something like a video visit, which is kind of the standard for a lot of telehealth encounters, but namely just thinking about the appropriate access points, right? Not mandating that patients have to log into a portal or have to download an app that is only going to work with a smartphone, just being more mindful of these different access points. The other example I often see in the remote patient monitoring space these days is just developing loaner programs, pre-established kits that have a lot of pre-loaded devices and tools that can just plug in right into a regular outlet, or maybe they're already cellular enabled. It alleviates a lot of the connectivity challenges that are often at the root of these digital programs as far as the challenges that the most vulnerable members have. So there's a whole kind of collection here. That's part of the challenge of this digital equity subject is that there's so many avenues that you could take to start to kind of chip away at this. I think it speaks back to why often at a policy government level, these are the moves that have to happen to alleviate some of these challenges off of our health system members because they can only do so much with the resources that they have. Mm, That's great insight, both of you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, That's all we have time for today on SG2 Perspectives. I thank Nikita and Andrew for being my guests today and look forward to seeing you again on a future SG2 Perspectives. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.